0: Welcome, everybody, to Freightonomics, the show where we combine the freight market with that macroeconomic environment. I am head of market intelligence, Zach Strickland. Here with me, as always, Anthony Smith, chief economist. And today, we are going to be breaking down the transitional trends that we are seeing in the macroeconomic and transportation spaces. Uh, Obviously, over the last couple of years, we've been in a very elevated state of demand. Consumers went out and got everything that they ever wanted all at once. (laughs) Uh, And now that is starting to wane a little bit. And of course, supply chain managers across the globe are reeling, trying to figure out how to get their uh, supply forecasts and also their demand forecasts under control. And what that's leading to is this unstable period of chaos. Unstable is right. And...
1: (laughs) Everyone just, like you said, bought everything that they ever wanted and then some more stuff on top of that. And it's been a very interesting situation over the last year and a half, two years, because you see this type of demand that got pulled forward. And mm-hmm. I'm sick and tired of the lies. Like, that's one thing. I'm sick and tired of the lies that we've... I'm not, I'm not, I'm not jumping I like into like, my, are... my soapbox, but I'm sick and tired of it because it's like, it happened. Everyone that didn't even have an economics degree or background. It was like, hey, there's going to be something going on with inflation, right? There's going to be something happening, right? Everyone said No, they it. ignored it. They even tried to explain it away for a yes. minute. Yes. You remember? We were they talking liked, about it. They said transitory. That was their last greatest mm. hit. And when they come back, what they follow up, it's not a recession. This mm. is the little Jedi mind trick. So
0: mm. I, I don't understand... Why? It's basic math. It, it is basic math. It's but... basic math. It had to. It had to happen. We were talking about it with Zach Rogers in January of like twenty. Uh, no, it was like December of twenty twenty. Yeah, it's like you can't have this much economic activity without inflation. Yeah, and you know we've all heard your your little spiel. Inflation and, and inflation. Somehow that's aged well. Yeah. Still- <laughs> Actually, you made it like well before everybody cared and now yeah. it's still relevant. Yeah. So, it's somehow we aged go. well,
1: unfortunately.
0: Well, are you watching the... I'm looking
1: down right now and I'm not just ignoring Zach or all, all of you watching no. right now. I'm looking at LinkedIn because we are live streaming. So if you want to jump in on the conversation, say, Anthony, you're wrong. Inflation isn't real. We're not in a recession and everything's fine feel free to jump in the conversation. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to ridicule you. I'm, I want to know your opinion. If you agree, disagree, if you feel anything different, if you're seeing anything in the supply chain or in the macroeconomy that we're not seeing just yet, make a call out and, and let's have a conversation because that's not what this show is about. is really mm-hmm. talking about what's happening in the freight world, what's happening in the macroeconomy and how to prepare for it, how to really, I don't know, counteract that and really be able to navigate in a much more... I say efficient,
0: efficient way, efficient and effective way. So before we get into that, of course, you got to hear about your market, your freight market in two. Uh, For those of you that that haven't watched over the last few weeks, uh, we now have a segment where I give you all the most relevant data points for the freight market activity over the last week. And maybe I get a little bit longer run because it's hard to look at things week over week at times. But uh, that's what we're going to do here in just a few minutes. I'm going to actually in a few seconds. Oh. <laughs> Do you want to count me in, yes. Anthony, uh, to let them know? Five, two four, minutes.
1: three, two, one. Oh, we're begin. in.
0: <laughs> All right. So first chart, we have contract versus spot. Uh, we have our contract rates sitting up there in the white line. This is the average drive van contract rate. And, of course, they are starting to come down. End of July... Early August, these contract rates were actually plateauing, and they peaked out right around Memorial Day. Uh, but now they're down about 8% since that peak value in June, and they continue to fall fast. Uh, so this is a huge trend to watch uh, for anybody out there over the third, fourth quarter as people start to rebid. And the spot rate, again, we thought the spot rate had kind of floored out for a moment, and that's what's in that green line. That's our National Truckload Index uh, removing line hull or I mean, removing fuel costs, uh, and it's starting to fall back again. So the market is not done. We are still at the front edge of this decline. Let's go to the next chart here and look at our contract load accepted volume. So demand-side indicators, though, we're not seeing a lot of transition here. Rates are coming down still, but contract load accepted volumes measures those accepted tenders, and they are staying relatively flat. You can almost see a little uptick there at the very end, too, as we approach Labor Day. So demand-side indicators... There's nothing that's really deteriorating dramatically as the rates continue to decline. So there's a lot of fluff left in those rates, uh, it seems, in uh, regards to supply. Let's go to the next chart. So demand may not be moving in aggregate, but this is our local tender volume along with the other lengths of haul. That white line, pay attention to that, over the last two years, uh, or three years, I should say, up. Dramatically so, and more so than the long haul tender volumes. These are loads that move less than 100 miles. And part of that reason is for this last chart that I'm going to show you, the import volumes are now coming into the East Coast. If we go to the PIMS, (laughs) the import market share here, and that blue line is the New York, New Jersey import customs data. uh, And that white line is Los Angeles. So that's deteriorating. East Coast is growing. You've done it again, Zach. You've done it again. And, and so when we're looking at this, or we're talking about
1: spot versus contract, this is something that we've kind of mm-hmm. been really hinting towards for some time now. We're starting to see that downward movement in contract. Is mm-hmm. this too much of a, is this a surprise as we continue to move throughout the remainder of 2022?
0: No, it's not a surprise, but it's interesting the timing and the movement. Uh, I think we're still, I think everybody can kind of easily predict that contract rates are going to come down. What's incredibly difficult to predict is how far and how fast uh, they come down. Uh, shippers are snake bit right now. Uh, do you are you do you trust that this economic environment we're going to trot out long enough to kind of not have another and unstable swing to the other side? What if the Fed comes out and realizes, hey, wait, we don't have any control over the demand side economics right now. Yeah, uh, it's mostly supply side driven inflation. If you want to check out our a show from a few weeks ago where we dove into this in detail. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> anything can happen and geopolitically, we have no control over that right now.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of variables, a lot of unknowns, mm-hmm. unknown unknowns and factors and unintended consequences from things that have kind of been put in place. And I think that's going to be one of the big things as well as we look towards yeah. the second half of 2022 is all the unintended consequences from some of the actions being taken and some of the intended ones that are really being kind of underplayed right now, especially with interest rates. I think interest rates being brought up so fast and so much, so quickly, I I should say, um, is definitely, I think, a play into what is expected by the Fed in the second half of 2022 and early 2023. I think they're expecting a significant downturn in the economy even more so. And I think this is definitely going to be one of those plays to really kind of help boost some of that. Uh, activity as we get into 2023.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's interesting to me. I mean, we're obviously in a transitional state of being. Yeah. Uh, you cannot apply today's activity to two months from now right. activity. You can see the trends because we're, we're moving and things are moving. And there's a lot of uh, moving parts to this equation. But it's, it, it's still this period of very like, we can't rely on what's happening today. We j- I just talked about the spot market. Right. It's it's coming down after being floored out for a few months. So that means that we're still seeing some, you know, demand is below supply to right. an extent. And it's going to drive that market rate down. Long-term rates starting to fall actually more quickly because there's just too much room right in the market value. You're not going to sit out there and pay a premium on your consistent volume uh, with that much room on the spot market. When people are coming to your door, banging down your door saying, I'll haul your freight for 20% less. Right,
1: yeah. and And I think the interesting thing is, is, The underlying trend that's really kind of playing throughout all of this, and I think it's really putting on a stronger front than a lot of the other uh, indicators would kind of really show when you look into some of the details and subcomponents. So, For example, I always talk about the employment market, and we'll talk about a little bit of a bright spot that happened today (laughs) with initial jobs claims went down to the 240. So that was a, a great sign of the Reverse.
0: economy. I want to dive into the labor market trends. Let's, yeah, let's, let's do that. it. Let's do that right now. Let's go ahead and just knock that out. And then yeah. we'll get to the news stories of the day. Yes. And then you can do a nice quick econ in two. Let's do it. All right. So lab, labor market trends. This, is, this one's confusing me. This is mm-hmm. what the Fed's been using as kind of a prop to say, look, labor market's still really strong. People can't hire people fast enough. But over the last bit, we've seen... Jobless claims going up, right. job openings coming down. Right. What what do we make of this?
1: So one of the things that we get next week is going to be the unemployment rate. We'll get job openings. We'll get the quit rate. We get things like that. And all these employment indicators move in a different time frame. Weekly initial jobs claims is much more timely. It's much more volatile. It's weekly um, compared to something that might be quarterly or annually measured. So uh, much more volatile. So two down movements, two up movements, not so much of a trend. But it is still concerning. Now it's down to 240s. I think that's a great sign. But I'm not sold yet that the employment market is just kind of solved and definitely solid and strong. We're looking at the job openings number. It's definitely, it's it's a bubble territory. It's overinflated because of the amount of jobs that are open right now are more than the amount of people that we have to work those jobs. It's a bubble. It's, it's not really sustainable. It's built off of artificial demand that was pumped up by the uh, the packages of stimulus that got deployed throughout the economy. So that's one big factor of it all. And the other big thing is, of course, with the unemployment rate, we talked about this before, the composition is completely different. Me being 235 in college and me being 235 10 years after college might be a little bit less muscle mass in that 235. It's not as strong as it was in college. So the Participation rate is not as high as it was pre-pandemic. So that 3.5% doesn't mean as much as it did before the pandemic. The other big thing is the productivity of it all. That's not as high. So the productivity is lower. The participation rate is lower. More people working part-time jobs that would like to work full-time jobs is also higher, and the un- the employed population is lower. And then we have a lack of baby boomers that are retired. The brain drain, drain <laughs> that's that's gone. And we have a, well, we talk about this all the time. If you're a woman in the workforce, it's like you said, yep. the glue that really holds everything together. Oh and without them, <laughs> it's really a mess a lot of the times. And so there are all these different things that take away from the composition of the workforce and labor market that we didn't have. Before the pandemic that we have now, and so I think that really shows that we're not on stable ground. And and what the other big thing is is that we're
0: seeing a lot of layoffs starting to pop off left, right, left, right. It's in one of our stories. The it's US in one Express. of the stories. U.S. Express lays off, you know, about you know five percent. Yeah, uh, but
1: yeah, go ahead. So, so the, it's unfortunate, but the good thing for a lot of people right now in this economy is like they're able to recover relatively quickly. They're like, hey, I can get another job. I can get another job, whether it's in the same industry or potentially, um, I, I would say, something in the service of hospitality because those are just still hiring um, as fast mm-hmm. as ever. Um, but that's going to be one of the big saving points is that a lot of people can find something now. But that's starting to come down as we look at job openings starting to diminish. We get updates for them in about a week or so. I'm not too optimistic about job openings as we move into the latter half of 2022. And I definitely think that it's going to be one of those things that the Fed is going to use as a, as you said, a propping point to just say, hey, the economy's fine. Everything's fine. We've never been better. It's just <laughs> a little bit shaky, a little bit slowish, but everything's fine. Now, I don't think everything's fine when we look at the composition of the labor force right now and the market dynamics. Producers are taking a hit right now. Yep. They can't keep operating at this level because they're in a business to make money. The, some of the bigger players can outlast. Some of the smaller players, mid-sized players, for sure. This goes in every aspect of business. And freight, when some uh, of the larger players can take some hits that the smaller owner operators and mid-sized operations can't take, this happens in business as well. So um, you know, Walmart's going to be just fine. Amazon's going to be just fine. Target's going to be just fine. But it's only going to be a matter of time until inventory levels start eating them up they have to get rid of a lot of inventory levels that are, and this might be an economy in 10. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'll stop there. So, But there's just so many factors hitting the producers because their PPI, the producer price index, has been outpacing the CPI for some time. Quite a while. And they can it's only take those hits for so long.
0: Right. It's not sustainable unless you're making like 40% margins. Right. Which, no, they're not. <laughs> or they weren't. Uh, so, yeah, I, and I kind of want to, tie this into that story with the U.S. Express. We heard U.S. Express, uh, Ford also laid off, announced a layoff. uh, Lots of layoffs in the news. Now, the U.S. Express one I'm not super surprised about uh, as regards their variant uh, segment here, which of course is kind of an independent, like, they call it a subsidiary, (laughs) which is strange to me uh, because it's like this experimental fleet, right. you know, with with unique pricing, but it's all the same network. And this is a weird, this is a weird thing to me. And I obviously don't have all the details, so I don't want to talk like I know everything here. But, um, you know, even uh, CEO uh, Eric Fuller said, they need more trucks. Mm-hmm. Well, if this model is to work, from what it sounds like, it sounds like it needs all the trucks. Because <laughs> it would be weird to be priced to do this thing over here, but a truck's a truck. Right. Uh, you, you you need this fleet moving this direction or that direction. And economies of scale within a network make it hard to operate a fleet independently of the larger unit. Um, and I th- that's what it sounds like is going on here is that we have some, some weird mixing. And this was an experiment. And like all trucking companies do, uh, they want to d- dip their toe in the water. They don't yeah. want to I want to take all the risk, but I think what they've done here is actually kind of take on all the risk by not committing yeah. <laughs> uh, to so this. When did this experiment kind of start? It started a off. few years ago. And again, this is an interesting one. But, you know, in regards to what we were talking about with jobs, this is kind of like trimming the fat. This yeah. is like, you know, you when you're having a lot of revenue come in, which UX Express actually hasn't <laughs> uh, because of uh, this product specifically, it sounds like, um, do you start taking more of these risks? That's what that was going to be. And so insight. now they're saying, you know what, we don't, we're in a risk off environment uh, as the economy slows and freight movements slow. We're going to go ahead and cut some of this, but they're not cutting it out entirely. Yeah. You know, they're just, so it's a very confusing thing to me. We obviously don't have all the details here, but that is a, you know, that's, they're not the only ones, right. you know, Ford also uh, announcing that it's trimming uh, some labor as they focus more on EVs, um, which, we're hearing this more and more often as I think people are try are basically taking labor out of these experimental or maybe some of these outdated things that were propped up by an overheated economy. And that's what we're seeing announced in the news.
1: I think 100 percent. And that's why I was asking about when when this kind of started out off, because I think mm-hmm. as you see um, a lot of these, you know, hot economies, there's going to be a lot or a lot more uh, risk. Behavior because mm-hmm. it's like, hey, times are good. I can pick it. They can't a
0: let that free market run wild, Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> so there's they, going will, all these chances. they will
1: blow up activity. Exactly. <laughs> <with that validity. laughs> exactly. And yeah. so I think this that's exactly right when looking at this, this situation here. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, for, for example, as you said, trimming the fat and really kind of holding in on, hey, these are core competencies. And this is something they've been doing for some time when they announced um, how much of their fleet that they were slashing mm-hmm. because they just wanted to focus in on. Um, the efficient sellers and, yeah. and what people are leaning towards now, and I think, I think what the Mustang might be the only <laughs> right. sedan that they have now, and that even has like Trucks a and crossover yep. <laughs> variant of it as well. So Stands I think this is nice gonna, definitely going to be a, a, a trend that we see uh, a lot more people taking as well.
0: Yeah, so let's go down the news uh, stories a little bit. This one, of course, relevant into what my market update was. Uh, Greg Miller writes this about trans-Pacific rates still sinking, transatlantic rates still peaking question mark <laughs> uh and and they're not peaking they're coming down but they're coming down a lot slower and i have a chart that explains this this is the panama spread so in the orange line there that is the freitos baltic exchange spot rate for 40 foot containers coming across from china to the north american east coast the white line is rates going to the west coast from china the green line is the rate differential between those two during the pandemic the Panama Spread, which is the green line there, shrunk to almost historic levels. Because you could almost you could ship something to the East Coast uh, you know, much more economically than you could to the West Coast. And it is thousands of miles shorter. <laughs> because you either go through the, uh, you know, the Panama Canal down there, which is why we call it the Panama Spread, or you can go through the Suez <laughs> uh, over in Europe, which of course has become more destable. Uh, destabilized here over the last few months. And, you know, this is a result of shippers overcorrecting and being slow to respond to the economics of this situation. It's very difficult. A shipper can't just say, I'm going to ship everything now to the East Coast, where my end users are, uh, overnight, right? There's all this infrastructure in place. There's warehousing, DCs, there's transportation infrastructure. These are containers, container facilities that, you know, depalletize or, Palletized freight on the West Coast. That's where all of the main activity has been. And just this trend started late last year yeah. where shippers were starting to move stuff to the East Coast instead of the West because it's economically more feasible. Right. Uh, but they haven't had the facilities to handle it out East. And now it looks like we're seeing the culmination of this and it's, it's going down. Uh, if you look at the IOTI and some of the values, this is going to start to ease up yeah, Just like the West Coast is because aggregate demand's coming down. But right now, the mix is shifting to the East Coast. And that's a lot of the reason we see these short haul freight volumes really hold up.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a great point around the infrastructure. And I think the other one is the labor that mm-hmm. would be needed to operate some of that infrastructure yeah. as well. It's going to be all on the West Coast for the most part. And so, there's this huge mismatch uh, happening, I think, definitely on the East Coast. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's not something that just gets built out overnight or in the course of a couple of months here.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's going to be a trend to watch because how much of this East Coast activity remains and how much do shippers start to revert back to the West Coast once things settle out? Uh, We might see another reversal of trend because right now, tender rejection rates, capacity on the West Coast, extremely loose. 2% tender rejection rate out of Los Angeles right now compared to 8% out of Harrisburg. Very unusual trend. Normally, we're starting to see things tighten on the West and loosen on the East at this point in time. But... Not so much right now. Uh, So, Anthony, let's get an economic update.
1: Okay, let's do it. And also, i got to say, shout out to David Conover, uh, saying that the the shift in container volumes is interesting. Definitely agrees with your point on Mm -hmm. the infrastructure. But a quick economic update. Um, One of the big things I think is really, I think, this doesn't really have to do specifically with freight, but mm-hmm. everything kind of ties back to freight in my mind, for sure, some way somehow. A student loan forgiveness plan that yeah, just kind of hear about got it got propped up not too long ago. <laughs> um, this is a bit concerning because there's a few things happening here. Because I'm not a huge fan of student loan forgiveness, I, and I'm not even in the conversation because my college is paid for it, thanks to good old foosball. Look at you. But uh, the thing is, is that this does nothing to fix the problem. It's like having a hole in the sh- in a ship that's floating along, mm-hmm. and instead of plugging the hole, we're just kind of like trying to scoop out the water <laughs> instead of fixing the problem. Because this doesn't stop or impede more students from taking on student loan debt. This doesn't stop the Fed from backing any kind of student loans. So this doesn't really fix anything. This kind mm-hmm. of potentially, in a roundabout way, almost increases money supply. And definitely, it's going to be I think scaled around income levels. So maybe targeting people that have an even a higher propensity to spend. So this could even be a, an inflationary pressure builder as well, and in some roundabout way. The other big thing is when we're looking at this, is that this kind of puts in perspective that big inflation bill that we were talking about last week, because yeah, environment,
0: bill, the, the environment bill and the environment bill,
1: the inflationary environment bill, the misnomer of the of the year, right exactly. There. <laughs> and so I, I didn't want to say that I was putting on my my tinfoil hat, but the hiring of all those IRS agents was my thought was that this is a play into some activity, whether we do something around um, diminishing uh, import taxes from China or potentially something like this, because the student loan forgiveness is going to be not just deployed all at once, but I believe it's going to be a program that has incremental payoffs um, for a student loan, I believe. I have to dig into this a little bit more. But if that's right, this could potentially come from, of course, the government paying off these student loans. And the government will have to pay off these student loans through taxes. And so how these taxes would be accrued by an increased number of wow. agents potentially. So Look at you. I think this falls into that. I'm not saying this is all part of the plan, but I think this kind of seems a little bit... Um, I think what you're saying is we can't expect something for nothing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think yeah. that's a big one here. The other big one, of course, tying a little bit more back to freight here. New home sales is not yeah. doing good, not doing good at all. Uh, we saw a double digit decline there in student, uh, not student, I'm, just kidding, I'm still on student loans, on uh, <laughs> new home sales. And this was a bit concerning, but not too surprising. So when we look at new home sales, we saw that the latest month had a downward movement of over 10%. It was down 12.6% for the month, 29.6% for the year. This is the lowest point since 2016. And there, there were a whole host of issues really happening with the homes market. I mean, look at the pull forward. Um, Throughout the first half of 2022 that we called out earlier this year, we also look at some of the other big things like increasing home prices, even though we're starting to see inventory starting to pick up right now for existing homes. We're also looking at um, increasing layoffs happening, although a lot more consumers are able to find a job because job openings are still pretty abundant right now. The other big thing is when we're looking at that, that there is going to be that uncertainty and a lot of consumers, if you just got laid off, you found a new job, maybe you're still not you know, feeling confident in making a big ticket purchase just yet. So that's gonna be another deterrent. We're also seeing homes that were in early phases, pre-contract being pulled out of. And so that's gonna be another impact to the homes market as well. So there are all these impacts. And of course, you look at a new home, you build that new home, that's gonna be a freight demand. You fill that new home with goods, that's gonna be another freight demand. And so there's all ties back into it. And so if you see a downward movement there, it really kind of waterfalls into, again, back to freight demand. So, these are concerning trends. And when you look at new home sales, I don't, I'm not just going to look at that on the service level, but what does it mean for freight? And I think that's what kind of kind of. Well, we talked
0: about it during when the, when the pandemic was at its peak, and we were talking about home sales were actually increasing because the remote life yeah. had taken over, and everybody's buying new furniture and everything. So, when home sales go down, demand for durable goods goes down right. uh, because they're not refurnishing places. And now that people can't afford homes because the price is inflated too high, uh, and again, this is going to have a downstream effect on consumption. Um, and I think this is actually one of the more concerning aspects. Obviously, that your flatbed tender rejection index is coming down. Uh, we already know that. Yeah. That's your direct <laughs> construction coming down. But then all these goods that go into houses going to come. And these are big, bulky goods that fill up trucks uh, really fast. So I guess your lesson here, Anthony, is we're still we're still in the early stages of seeing this transitional state I it's think going to be a while before we get to have like that kind of hole in the fog before we know where we're going to land right i think exactly right there and, and real quick durable goods
1: orders flat but be mindful when watching it because it's measured in millions of dollars billions of dollars oh yeah
0: watch anything anything yeah. reported in a dollar value does not mean what you think it means so yeah, inflation, inflation, inflation. What about this? Also, <laughs> thanks everyone for joining in on the conversation. Shout out to Balan
1: Kerman for also joining in. I just see these it's uh and like in thanks Thank you for joining on the conversation.